No. No. This came much later. Deep retreat in Greece. I, somebody gave me a hard-boiled egg for like my lunch. And I don't like hard-boiled eggs. I, I was eating them, but I still didn't really like them. What is it about this egg? I just closed my eyes and I'm just thinking about it. And I'm watching the reaction right now. There's nothing wrong with this egg. What's wrong with this? Right? And then the memory just came. Whoa! Oh, cool. After that, the egg wasn't bad. You know, it kind of cleared that trace memory. It's in the it's in the physiology. I know that makes it look like you got a U, <laughs> but it doesn't. Don't try that. One. There is no U there. So, from a relative point of view, right, we're not we're not arguing from a relative point of view that this is the way uh, you function in the world and this is the way that you move through the world and this is the way that you have to wheel and deal to get and avoid. Whatever, fair enough. But from an absolute point of view, it doesn't exist. It's an illusory manifestation in order to work in an illusory world with other illusions. So it's movies within movies within movies, wheels within wheels within wheels. And you should enjoy the game, because what an amazing world it is, even with death and suffering. The beauty with Vajrayana practice, of course, is that there's good deities and so-called bad deities, peaceful deities and wrathful deities. And because there's no wrathful deities in the Western religions, it's mostly dumped on everybody else, right? Like World War One, Two, Three, Four, Five, however many we get up to, before we realize we need wrathful deities in our practice in order to dismantle our aggressive instincts against blaming others for our problems. Anyway, the nature of disabusing you from the idea that what is relatively true is not absolute true is where your anxiety hits. If you ever have an anxiety, you know you're on your path to liberation because you're coming up against the place where you're not sure what you should be in that situation. That's what you're anxious. You're afraid you're going to fail. You're afraid you're not going to succeed. You're afraid you're going to be seen as a phony. You're afraid you're going to be overwhelmed. Um, you're afraid you're going to be abused. You're afraid you're going to be hurt. You're afraid you're going to be fired, you're afraid you're going to lose your income, you're going to lose your security, you're going to get sick, you're going to die. What else? Make the wrong decision. Make the wrong decision. Humiliation can be humiliated. All these anxieties, of course, because of course all these things did happen to you. You were, I mean, your parents didn't set out to tell you it was the wrong decision or humiliate you. The point is, is that fundamentally, the nature of the conditioning that makes you a functioning adult is by its very nature abusive, in the sense that it interferes with your will to remain a spoiled brat, <laughs> completely self-focused, right? insensitive to the needs of others, I'm exaggerating a little, and completely incapable of functioning. A functioning person is the learning mechanism of all the humiliation, pain, and wrong decisions. And that's only relatively true because before there was a you, there was transcendence. And after you, there will be transcendence. And therefore, since there's transcendence before you and transcendence after you, the logical conclusion is that you are transcendence. All you do is fight against it because you think that if you let go of the you, you're going to dissolve into some unconscious void 
stupidity. And if you believe that, um, you have a really good strategy for keeping your game going. <laughs> Which is why you do it. Well, I don't know about the awakening. Of course you don't. You're going to interfere with your story. The thing is, the awakening doesn't interfere with anything. It doesn't change a damn thing. Or if you want to be more accurate, it doesn't change a heavenly thing. It changes a lot of damn things. It doesn't change much heavenly things. I didn't completely get it. I think you said, when, for instance, when the Buddha remembered his previous lifetime. Previous lifetime. I think you said they were not his lifetime. No. But they were lifetimes of the Buddha nature. Yes. But that doesn't make sense. Well, because he obviously look at it this way. Identified, he remembered those lifetimes. Yeah, but that's easy. Try it this way. The universe is a huge library. Uh, and everything that ever happened in that universe, everything that is happening, and anything, everything that will happen, we can come back to the deterministic aspect later, is in this library. And you are in the biology section under chemistry, organic, grade nine level. Well, sorry, a postgraduate PhD level. You're a book. And as you live, as you live through your life, the pages there are written as you live them. So even in this moment, the lines are being written in the book. And in every other book in the library, this is also true. Every event, every experience, whether it happens to a tree or a butterfly or some distant star, is being written as a metaphor. <laughs> Actually, it's called the alley of Inyana. But anyway, is being written in this book. Or, or in books everywhere, millions and billions and trillions of books. It's being written as we speak. So now the thing is, is that you're so busy with your book, you know, what happened to you on page 37 and what might happen to you on page 99, and you're just obsessed with your book, right? We're obsessed with our lives. That, well, you know that there's a book beside you, and you know there's some books over there in the botany section, you know, trees. But, you know, you don't tend to think of them that way. You, you experience these trees and other people as if they were pages in your book. So everything that happens to you is referred back to you because you think it's all my book. And yet in their book, they're also writing, and you're part of their book. They don't see really you over there. They see just you how you were in their book. And now you expand this out to fill the entire universe, and you've got a whole lot of writing going on, and everybody thinks the writing is theirs. <laughs> including ants and rhinoceroses and uh, moose. The, uh, the nature of this thing is that as it's been written, uh, you have access at any time to anywhere in the library because there's no time and space in this library. You can go anywhere in the library at any moment in time. Even as your book's been written, you can experience all the things that have happened in the past, all the things that are happening in the present, all the things that happen in the future. But in order to do that, you've got to get out of your own book. And it's very, very, very hard to get out of your own book because you're identified with the book so, and so much you're identified. You're afraid you're going to go, you get a little burp going on, you go into the hospital, right? A little, you know, a little twinge in your arm, you go, doctor, doctor, right? And here we're talking about just dropping the entire foundation of your book completely in order to see what's out there, which we call death. And in fact, that's what happens, that death, the last page of your book is written, and you end up in the library 
because of the conditioning, because of the nature of the conditioning to be a page, you get a birth and you get a new page. So you don't spend much time, as a rule, out there in that vast library of mind, whatever you want to call it. It's like a mouse, you know, it gets out of the hole and just want to get to the cheese, right? It doesn't want to hang around in the room. Mouse hole, cheese, mouse hole, cheese. And uh, so you uh, you have this access available to you, but you can't do it physically. Uh, you can't do it mentally. You can't do it emotionally, because these three things are writings in your book. You have to do it transpersonally, if, for lack of a better word, and then you have this access. And so with the Buddha accessed, he didn't access his life. He accessed all lives. He was everything, all the lives, horses, cows, and that's why the Jataka tales, they talk about, well, when the Buddha was a deer, and when the Buddha was a lion, and when the Buddha was a, right, this is the attempt, in my understanding, anyway. so I don't know whether that helps you. The uh, nature of this self, the nature of the self that holds itself together, is based on these three things, body, speech, and mind, body sensations, emotions, and mental states. And usually in the text they identify it as five functions. It, form, so anything to do with the body or forms. Feelings, that stays the same. Perception, your perceptual qualities. And the states of mind, and the contents of mind. Well, contents of mind we've already talked about. The only one we really haven't talked about is perception, and I think that stands on its own. And this so-called state of mind. And the state of mind is, in some ways, the hardest thing to wrap yourself around because in some ways your identification with yourself as a state of mind is even more important than all the other four put together. So what is your state of mind at present? Happy. That makes you you. It's a state of mind. I am that state of mind. So the identification of you with the arisings is the problem from the point of view of liberation. From the point of view of relative truth, it stands on its own. That's a hit and miss game. It's a, you, know, you get some home runs, you get some strikeouts, get hit with the ball occasionally. It's part of the game. But from the point of view of transcendence, it's when you realize that you aren't these things in essence. And deliberation occurs when you switch your refuge. When you switch your refuge from the game to the emptiness. It doesn't stop the game. So what you're doing in meditation is you're trying to occupy your mind with something that is not you. The breath, the body scan, it's, it's not, in some ways you get, when you're doing the body scan, you kind of get the feeling it's not even your body in a way. It's just kind of body. Or the deity practice. Right? In other words, other power, what the Jodo Shinshu in Japan call other power. You can't get there from here. And this is what the ego really can't wrap itself around. You can't get to transcendence from you. All you can do is put yourself at the edge of the cliff, with the principles that we've been talking about and wait for the wind to blow you over or however you want however you want to put that and when you do that it will blow you over but it has to be you have to be on the edge of the cliff to do it you can't be busy with jobs and career. I mean you're going to have a job and a career but you can't be busy with jobs and careers and relationships it won't happen it's got to be nothing other than that now you can still be in a job and still have a relationship right but it can't be where your attention your attention has to be on the edge of the cliff and then the wind will blow you off, or in, or up, or down, or however you want to put it, and on it goes. The problem is, is that you kind of want your cake and you want to eat it too, right? 
fair enough, it's understandable. And so you try to do the job and the career and the relationship thing and stand on the edge of the cliff, but because you're clinging to the job and the career and the relationship, you're not actually on the edge of the cliff. And you try to convince yourself you're on the cliff when you're 15 miles from it. And the teacher's job is nothing other than to disabuse you of the fact that you're not standing on the edge of the cliff. That's the only function. And to point where the edge of the cliff is. That's it. That's our only function, is to say, no, you're not as close as you could be. You've got to get a little closer than that in order to have that wind come along. And we don't tell you you have to do it. All we can say is you're not on the edge of the cliff. And of course, the last thing you want to hear is, I'm not on the edge of the cliff. Yeah. It's the last thing you want to know, which is why Kensei Norbu Rinpoche calls himself the assassin. He's not assassinating. He's just saying you're not on the edge of the cliff or you're not close enough to the edge of the cliff. You only, in a sense, have one question. Where's the edge of the cliff? And you have even one question, and it's bigger than that. The question that's behind where's the edge of the cliff is, do I actually want to know where the edge of the cliff is? Why would I go there means you won't do it. Why would I want to? If you're not convinced now that you should want to, you have to wait until you're convinced that there's really nothing else that you can do that is going to produce well-being. And until you believe that, you won't get it. You won't get the vision. But you still have to think, why would I do that? It's not quite the same thing. It's why would I do that? Uh, sorry, not why would I do that, but, but how do I want it? How do I convince myself that that's where I should be? Right? The only way you can do that is to be dissatisfied with the status quo. If you're not dissatisfied with the status quo, you will not move. If you are dissatisfied with the status quo, then you say, how do I get there? And you're doing that by being here or in other such situations. And then the question is, am I actually communicating closely enough with that which seems to have experienced it to confirm whether or not I'm on the edge of the cliff? And that's called Guru Yoga. Guru Yoga is when you check in with the Guru who has supposedly fallen off the cliff or whatever, stepped one foot up in the air. <laughs> so you wake up in the morning, you do your aspiration, you set your motivation, you go to bed at night, you do loving-kindness meditation, as I wish to be well and happy, may all beings be well and happy. Start with the people in the room, and you go through all the people, and then you say, may, may the dog and cat move to have that. May the moose be well and happy. <laughs> but you can't do everybody, so then you say, may all beings be well. And you go to sleep on that note. Share the merit. Everybody well and happy, and then whatever, whatever growth or development or unfoldment that you've experienced here today, you share with all beings, which will strengthen you. For more information, please go to www.clearskycenter.org. That's C-L-E-A-R-S-K-Y-C-E-N-T-E-R dot org. Thank you.